everyone. Welcome to a seminar. For some of you, this is your first seminar. For some of you, as you're saying. Good story. That was one of many. <laughs> My name is Ryan Mika. I'm an area director of some area. Uh, and I'm on Young Life staff. I'm, does that make sense? Does it, do you guys think it's weird that young people say, I'm on staff? No. No, okay. I feel like we assume just staff means young life staff, but I feel like other jobs probably also use the word staff. <laughs> My name is Ryan Meekum. Uh, we're talking about uh, the seminars maybe poorly marketed regarding story time. I realized the first one was practice. And this is the real one. And I realized that the practice uh, there wasn't many stories in it, so I'm gonna try to add some more stories. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but I'm a big fan of stories, uh, movies, TV, books. I'm the guy who's read those things and seen those things and clicked on those things and have opinions about those things. Uh, that's just how I'm wired to just really enjoy those things. And uh, fun fact that I'm super excited about. So one thing that's fun being on quote staff is um, we get to go for one week a year, they fly on my staff to different seminary intensive courses, which is fun. So for years, I've gotten to choose to give like a menu of here are your, your seminary options for just one week intensive course. And this year on the menu was a limit to 10. And normally these classes are like 200 people. So this was only 10 people on my staff can come to this and please argue your reasoning why you should come to a faith and film course taught by Fuller Seminary um, at the Sundance Film Festival. <laughs> so, uh, so I sent them a very quick email saying, I'm the guy that you, you're talking about. And he's like, okay, you're in. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in. Uh, Sean Kuhn uh, is riding my coattails by saying, I'm friends with Brian. Uh, so he's in now. So Sean and I take, take two of the 10 spots to this and uh, we get a list of, I'm super excited about it. Sundance started on Thursday and I fly to tomorrow morning. We're there for eight days. And the seminary course is as follows, that um, I will be in a lecture with majority of Fuller students in the morning from 8.30 to 10.30. And then for the rest of the day, we just fill our calendar up for those eight days with as many movies on the list as we can and the course will pay for up to 12 movies. Uh, I fill that up. They give me a list of like 100 movies to pick, 120 movies to pick from. I'm reading each paragraph of every movie. I want to know what I'm seeing, and I pick my 12. It takes me days to do that. And one of them says surprise screening, and all the other has a good, you know, here's who's in it, here's in it. But one just says surprise screening, and I'm like, oh shoot. I think I want that one. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I only get 12. So I picked 11 movies and surprise screening. And I'm like, oh, I talked Sean into it. Because <laughs> he doesn't care. He's like, fine, fine. Yeah, it's a movie, great. Um, and so we're seeing surprise screening. And then after it was picked and after it sold out, they announced the, the surprise screening is an independent film starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who, and this is the world premiere of that movie, and that's why they didn't want to say what it is. 
So I'm going to a movie sitting next to my new best friend, The Rock, <laughs> because of Young Life, which I get a big kick out of, but that's my job, is to rub shoulders with The Rock and Cersei Lannister, which I'm also excited about. Um, so I'm into movies, I'm that guy, and I'm excited to tell you guys uh, one of the best stories ever today, and it is entitled uh, Man in a Hole. And I will paraphrase it, but here is the story of Man in a Hole. Once upon a time, oh no, we start again. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a man walking, and he fell in a hole. And then he got out of that hole and found better land to walk on. The end. And we love that story. We as humans eat that story up. That story can be told to us all the time, and we're always like, tell it again, tell it again, tell it again. And you might not realize that you're hearing the same story over and over and over again, but it is the man in the whole story is the story that we absolutely love. And uh, there's a guy named, there's a writer named Kurt Vonnegut who pointed it out a couple decades ago that you can actually graph story structure, you can graph it, and you can see that this man in the whole story is just completely embedded in all of our stories. And I want to talk about that story with you guys this morning. Um, going to pass these out awkwardly. Sheets work out? Did everybody get one? Okay, if you can write on it. Uh, top corner, good fortune, bad fortune, beginning and end. Just for now, write that. That'd be great. Okay. Here is the story of the man in the hole. Just so you understand how this is working. There's a man walking. He falls in a hole. He gets out of the hole. He's on better ground. That is man. You don't need to draw that. Don't draw that. Sorry, if it's too late. Yeah, well, you're, well, no, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, here's examples of the same story. Almost every superhero movie. We're doing okay. Oh, crap, a villain. We beat him. Is everyone? Yeah. Uh, Jumanji. Hey, we're just some kids trying to live our lives. Oh, no, we're in a video game. Are we going to die? No, we figured out how to get out. And now we're friends. A little bit higher. We learned, we learned some lessons in the video game. We're doing all right. Higher ground. Uh, Back to the Future is great because of how epic the drop is. 
Uh, Back to the Future, we got uh, a high school kid whose best friend is a weird scientist who he sees get murdered. His friend gets murdered, he tries to drive away from Libyans trying to murder him, only to go back in time. Now he's back in time, he's screwing up everything, he meets his family, he screws up their relationship, and then his mom falls in love with him. He's so screwed, and then he figures out how to get back to the future, and he fixes everything where now life is great. Uh, Where life was, what he did in 1955, made 1985 a lot better. Um, the movie A Quiet Place does not start up quite as high. They're already kind of screwed. <laughs> but they figured, it out. they figured it out enough where it's like, we just need to be quiet, but that one kid's not quiet. So it's like, oh no! That's not their case. And then the majority of the movie is them being like, please continue to be quiet, and they don't do too good. With the exception at the very end, they're like, hey, maybe we know how to kill him. Hook? Just a little bit of a like, okay, okay, uh, where it, it gives us just enough where we're like, I bet they'll figure this out. Um, Finding Nemo is another great example of life's okay, mom instantly dies, classic Disney. Uh, and then not only is life awful and Nemo's gone, but he literally ends up at the most unobtainable, like he's in a aquarium at a dentist. Like it is a genius writing problem to figure out how do we get a fish out of an aquarium. And eventually those little guys figure it out. Does all right. Learn some lessons on the way. Jurassic Park. Yes. The, dinos- the dinosaurs are fine. No, they're not. We're done. They're back in the cage. That's every Jurassic Park movie. Is that? Uh, the movie Get Out. Should I hang out with these white people? No! <laughs> Should not have done that. They're terrible. I killed them. Uh, here's what's great about the movie Get Out is it actually has him going into the pit. It's actual symbolism in the film. They actually have him going into a pit when he's hypnotized. It's this amazing thing where he actually does drop and eventually he gets out. Uh, Mission Impossible, I don't know if I should accept that mission. I shouldn't have. No, okay, we're okay. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Dad got captured, so did I. This guy's terrifying, but kind of cute. Uh, And I'm in love. And now I'm the princess of the most beautiful castle. Like, she really, she was doing okay to begin with. Versus Cinderella, who's like, my life is miserable. Uh, oh no, maybe it'll be all right. Nope, it is miserable. No, we're okay. Um, but for the most part, we see this in stories. We see it in books all the time. Uh, Hunger Games is that. She starts up kind of screwed and eventually topples the government. Uh, Twilight, I'm a normal high school kid. Wait, I'm in love with a man who's a vampire and everyone's dying and now we're married with a baby. That's like a 19-year-old, right? Um, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the, the Hobbit movies are great because they, they start literally in the town where it ends. It ends in the town. Like, it literally is like, I'm on a journey and I'm back. Uh, there's variations. This isn't every single story. Uh, using Cinderella as an example, they're not all perfectly like that. For those of you who enjoy Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad is essentially, Boom! <laughs> That is Walter White's story, and it's kind of fun to watch. Oh, it's awful. Um, 
He's got a friend though. He's got a friend named Jesse Pinkman, and his story is boom hook. There's like five minutes at the end of the entire series where like maybe Jesse's all right, maybe he's heading there. Um, it's all over. It's all over. And this has been I'm just using stuff that's mainly been the past decade, but this is centuries upon centuries of stories tend to follow this pattern. Why bring it up? Is because I think it is a story that we are hardwired to love. I think when it comes to how we've been made with instincts and how God has pre-wired us to be like him, I do think we are wired too long for this story. We love to hear this story. We love to live out this story. Uh, we see it through scripture time and time again. There's actual numerous stories of people actually falling into holes in the Bible. Uh, Daniel falls into the lion's den. God helps lock that mouth, and Daniel gets out. Uh, we see uh, Joseph's brothers throw him into a well. They're trying to kill him. He eventually becomes their king. Uh, Jesus gets buried in a hole for three days, comes back out. Um, parables follow the structure. Man finds treasure, sells everything he has. He now has nothing, but he's able to buy it, and he gets the treasure. Uh, the parable of the lost son. I'm doing okay, but I sell it all, and now I'm screwed, and dad brings, lets me back. Um, parable of the lost sheep. I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to risk everything for one, and I found him, and I bring him back. Um, we see it in the entire biblical story. I'm going to write this up here now, and if you guys could do it. Beginning is also alpha. Ending is omega. And over here, good fortune on this side, we have heaven. And down low, we have hell. And uh, in the Bible story, we see this. The entire Bible is, we start at the very top of Genesis. Things are perfect. Sin drops that line instantly. We grovel down here for centuries. Jesus comes down, dies for us, <coughs> rises from the dead, gives us hope, and revelation ends in heaven. Um, we see it um, when it comes to Jesus. His actual story is Jesus is with God up here. Uh, the women in the room, imagine um, I would not want to uh, be a woman in labor right now in the Middle East with contemporary science still seems scary uh, for God to choose that point 2,000 years ago for his child to be born into this world where he is struggling and then ends up dying only to raise from the dead and head to heaven uh, it is all over the place in scripture and here's where it gets fun for us it is our story too. Every single testimony you've ever heard, every testimony at a Young Life camp, at a banquet, is this pattern. It is this, is the testimony. And it starts with, well, I was born into this type of family, blah, blah, blah. And here, as it starts to arc down, is where this testimony gets juicy. This is the fun part where we get to hear, and then I met Joe. <laughs> and we know where this is going when the testimony hits that. Like, oh, and Joe was bad news. Da, 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 da. And I start wrestling with doubt, blah, 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 blah. I start reeling with all these things. And now I'm struggling to eat and blah, 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 blah. And then I go to a Young Life camp and I hear about Jesus. And now 
I'm heading toward heaven. Uh, it is the story we hear all the time uh, at summer camp. The summer staff are sharing that and the role play stuff. Uh, we're hearing it everywhere. Uh, it is a story that is consistently the same, but um, arguably even our baptisms are similar as far as like uh, going underwater, coming back out. Um, but why I point out this story to you guys is here's why I think is also sadly similar about our testimonies is this part here, starting here and heading down to right around here, this part of the story, we absolutely kill. We're really good at this part of the story. We're good at sharing it. We're good at talking about life before Jesus. Right about here in the X when things are starting to head up, this is where our testimonies start to sync up in a way that I would argue is not biblical as much as it just becomes kind of a generic thing where we say, and sure, life's not perfect. There's been some ups and downs, but as a whole, I'm heading up there. And when it comes to the story structure, arguably, we're enjoying this part of our testimony stories much more than that part of our testimony stories. Uh, and another thing that can happen with our testimonies, the way it's so often pitched in Young Life circles, I'm a 43-year-old man. Here's my testimony that's pretty common for me to share, is I was born in a home that wasn't a Christian family, uh, but nice family, good parents. I would say I was up pretty high, honestly. Uh, junior high was the worst. Kids were mean. Uh, I was struggling a lot through 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. In high school, some older kids were nice. I was weirded out by how friendly they were. I was intrigued. They started bringing me to Young Life stuff. Meet Jesus. Start a relationship with Jesus. Boom. That's my testimony. Sure, since I met Jesus, there's been some ups and downs. Uh, I'm not perfect, but it's still been pretty good. If that is my story I'm pitching you, that is the same story I would have pitched you as a 15-year-old boy. I'm 43 years old. Are you telling me that my testimony is done right here at age 15? Arguably, about age 16, that's when life got really hard. Arguably, sin, death, and destruction got much worse in my story after I met Jesus in my life. Me struggling with sin, me struggling with the reality of a broken world got much worse after I was 15. However, if I was sharing the story, um, when... Um, when I meet with Young Life leaders, here are typical things they're struggling with. This is not a list you want to write down, but you get it. Uh, if we're being honest, there's just deeper holes all over the place. We keep falling into them. Uh, holes that are around us that I hear about. Jealousy, lust, anger, addiction, guilt, shame, laziness, bitterness, pride, arrogance, conceit, conceitedness. Those are all things that sound generic, but it's me trying to write down what are conversations I've had with leaders recently regarding what they're honestly struggling with in ways where you guys wouldn't know what I'm talking about? And that list just sounds like a generic, kids these days struggle with, boom, 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 boom. But the reality is kids these days, Christians included, struggle with jealousy, lust, anger, addiction, guilt, shame, laziness, and then, you know, that's, the list could be 50 words or something. Uh, but it keeps on going. Uh, our testimony story does not sometimes seem to completely line up with what we're pitching. When it, comes to the, when it comes to our testimony, sometimes what we say our life is, is not actually what's really happening. And I want to poke at that a little bit. I would argue we keep falling into holes, and uh, here's, here's most likely why, why that's happening, is uh, we have an enemy that likes to push us back into those holes. 
Uh, we have someone who is actively trying to make us not climb up to heaven. There is someone who knows that as we head up toward heaven, we start smelling more and more like the aroma of who's up there. And that aroma is winsome and attractive to others who say, what is it about that person? I want to know what kind of ride they're on. And so we have an enemy that likes us down in the pit. So we're being put down in the pit a lot. We have another enemy. And that is sadly that we come equipped with our own shovels. And sometimes we are digging our own holes. Sometimes we are well aware of the ground we're standing on. And we're saying, no, I want to try this. And you're like, I probably shouldn't, but here we go. And we are digging our own pit that we are jumping down into. And then thirdly, this one can be hard to swallow. Uh, so I need to be careful how I phrase it. Uh, but I do think that we have a God that allows us to walk into these holes. Uh, my initial, my first draft of this said sometimes God pushes us into those holes. <laughs> and I know how violent that sounds and that doesn't seem like a loving God. At the same time, I do think God is aware that this is happening and is fully expecting us to be heading that way in ways where I could argue it does seem like he's given us a little bit of a push. And here's why. I know that sounds awful, but let me share with you 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul saying, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I have been given... A thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He's been given this. Uh, it does seem like when you look at scripture that that's something God has given him. He has given him this thing to stop conceitedness. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul realizes he is here, he needs Jesus. And when he is weak, he becomes strong because he asks for Jesus. That God is in a pattern of encouraging us to get low so that we can remember to ask God for help to get high. Um, the idea of washing feet is a lowly thing that Jesus is making sure is the last thing he wants to teach to his disciples is get low, learn to serve and die, and I will help you live. Um, it's all through scripture. Um, and we, as Christians, sometimes are embarrassed of the pits. We know it's not true that we're, we know we're not perfect. But we also feel like I'm probably supposed to be right around here right now. And it's really embarrassing to admit I'm down in the pit. And so we tend to not talk about it. Uh, my, between my, my sophomore and junior year in college, this happened in my life. I was leading at one high school. And between uh, the, that summer, I was switching to a different high school. So in June, I went to high school with Camp A. And then I was not a young life leader until school B started in the fall. So for like two months there, not a young life leader. And because I did not have the label of young life leader, I lived accordingly to a life without that label. I worked at Kings Island, Lapaway, 
um, as a character, one of those, I'm gonna hug you. Um, I had that job with like 40 other people and that job was awesome. I loved that job, it was totally epic. I just sent a Facebook message out to a lot of them saying, next Christmas, let's have a reunion, we should do this. Cause they were so much fun. The job was great. We were paid triple what people are doing, making on rides because we were quote, entertainment. And we got to break every half hour in a break room together where it was all mainly college kids laughing and having a good time. And a lot of them were attractive. I was a single guy hanging out all the time with a lot of attractive women who thought I was funny. I thought they were fun. And uh, meanwhile, I'm still going to leadership every week. Still going to leadership, still going to church every week. But my community for that summer became a non-Christian community of work friends that I still love to this day, but they were affecting me in ways where I was starting to adapt to their culture versus the Christian culture. I was falling into a pretty deep pit, and I was cool with it. Uh, it this was me and my own shovel in this situation. Where I'm like, I'm going to try out this place. So I dig down there. I remember driving to a party, and in the car ride, I'm thinking to myself, okay, the girl that I've been flirting with a lot is going to be there, and I could be in a situation pretty soon where I could kiss her. The makeout potential here is high, and uh, <laughs> I need to be—I need to be on my game here. And here's why: this is a bad idea to kiss this girl. Uh, she just graduated high school, so she is—I'm about to be a junior in college. She's about to be a freshman in college, so a little bit younger. She's Jewish, not a Christian girl, uh, and she is—this is where it gets really, really weird. Uh, she is in a clique of friends, her high school clique of friends included my younger non-Christian brother and all of his so mean friends who love to make fun of young life. Uh, she is part of their gang. I'm driving to this party that she is at and I'm saying mental notes, Ryan, you just need to be smart about this. And I'm maybe 45 minutes later laughing at the version of me in the car that was like, that's so funny that you thought you could dodge what is currently happening, which is me making out with this girl. So I'm making out with this girl, and immediately, and as it's happening, literally as this is happening in my brain, I'm going, like laughing at, this is a bad mistake. Like I'm really screwing up here. Like that is literally playing off of my head with a grit. Like that's happening. I am happily in the pit. And once, once this is over, she correctly is saying, well, let's, we, let's do the DTR to find the relationship thing here. I, here's why I do not want to date her. Because I am saying that I'm this Christian young life guy who is going to also date Christian women, who's going to treat them well, and I'm not doing that. And she is not that. I'm not, I, I screwed up on the, that rule. And I'm realizing that it, I can't date her because that is the funniest thing in the world for my brother and his friends. Like, they will never, never, never let that down. I cannot communicate that. When she's like, why can't we date? You seem to be communicating everything that says we should date. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not sure. I don't know. Let's talk about it later. I'm that, I become that guy where I'm hurting her feelings for a solid month of confusion before eventually she's getting the, the message that I am not interested in dating her. I just wanted to make out that one time. I'm that guy. And I'm realizing, oh shoot, I was hoping I wasn't that guy. But I totally am that guy. And now, 
It's time for me to figure out if I want to lead again. I'm planning on leading again. I'm starting to deal with a lot of guilt about that. And I'm like, oh, I should tell someone. I don't want to tell anyone. I probably should tell someone. God is not part of this yet. That's not the thinking. It's just like, oh, I didn't follow the rules. Technically, I'm okay because I wasn't a leader. They should probably still know. My brother has now figured out this time point that this has happened. So jokes are happening. God bless the fact that there wasn't social media because him and his friends are just killing me about it. Uh, I go to my team leader and I tell him and he says, get in the car. I get in the car. We drive to the area director's house and I'm like, here it is. Here's the speech where I'm not allowed to leave. I see it coming. I know it's coming. And the speech that he gives me is the sin talk. He gives me the sin talk. He points out the fact that I'm there. He gives me, I could, I could arguably be saying it with him. It's the sin talk, right? This is what's happening. Uh, and I'm like, yes, that's true, that's true. Oh, crap. And it's like I'm hearing the sin talk again for the first time. It's like everything I needed to hear as a high school freshman, I need to hear again. I'm like, oh, man, that's me, that's me. Shoot. And he's like, and you need to go talk to God. And he basically pitches the same thing we pitch after a crosstalk. He pitches the ABC thing. You need to admit you screwed up. You need to believe that Jesus is real. And you need to commit to following him. And I had to go have a 20 minutes. I had to go have a 20 minutes. Uh, I go have a 20 minutes at my house. I spend time with Jesus. And I give one of the good prayers versus one of the bad prayers that feels like I'm regurgitating something. It's a, a good prayer where it's like, God, help me. I'm here. Help, help, help. And God says, let me help you up. And he helps me up. And uh, a, like a week later, I go talk to my leader. He's like, how are you doing? I'm like, good. He sees evidence of whoop on my line. And he's like, okay, let's keep fanning that flame. I think you're heading up here. In the fall, I was placed at that school. And uh, I'm a better leader because of the pit God helped me get out of. Um, he is into us falling down and helping us out. There's a great line in Batman Begins, the first Batman, Nolan film, um, tiny Bruce Wayne falls in a, in a well in the back. He, uh, Alfred and dad help him out. He says, dad, why do I fall? Why do I fall? And the dad says, why do we fall, Bruce, so we can learn to pick ourselves up? It's almost perfect. It's a great line in the movie. Uh, I think biblically, why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn that God can pick us up. When we're low, when we're at our weakest, we have the opportunity to lean into Christ's power and allow him to lift us up. My question for you is, is the last hole you were in right before you accepted Jesus into your life? Or are you aware that these holes are all around you and you're falling into them all the time? And are we able to be in a community of friends and Christian brothers and sisters where we are admitting, man, I'm falling into these holes all the time. Man, I'm down in this pit all the time. And man, do I need Jesus to get out of here. Um, a friend of mine recently pointed this out to me, which I love, is that in a typical church, it is possible that the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in the basement is actually doing church better biblically better than what is happening one floor up in Alcoholics Anonymous they are admitting they are admitting and sharing the pit and asking each other how do we get out of here how do we get out of here and Alcoholics Anonymous actually has a godly hope in it 
where upstairs it is possible that the majority of people look Instagram great and are acting biblically correct in the outside, but the reality is they haven't prayed a real prayer to Jesus in years and have been down in this pit and they're just embarrassed about it but they look great they look fine and it seems like sure they've had their ups and downs and no one's perfect but blah 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 i'm heading toward heaven when the reality is they're just sitting down here if we're gonna be honest my life might look more like i was born life was okay i realized that junior high was the worst i met jesus and things were good but then I, I struggled figuring out what it meant to be disciplined in my relationship with Jesus. And maybe I figured it out. And then I definitely screwed up in college. And no, no, I'm doing okay. And it's this weird pattern of this falling into pits and climbing out of pits and falling out of pits and climbing out of pits. And uh, if you were to take this line, this part of the line with a magnifying glass and look at that line in a magnifying glass as we head up to heaven, Really, if we look at it, our line, if you, those of you who have been following Jesus for a while and you still feel like, yeah, I'm in a healthy relationship with Jesus right now, your story most likely is this, where you are falling into pits and Jesus is helping you out. And uh, this, this seminar is poorly marketed again. It's really um, the idea of repentance is really the theme of this seminar is the value of realizing I'm in the pit and repenting, saying, Jesus, help me. I need you. Get me out. And what happens when we're in the pit is he helps us out and we level up. We become more like Jesus there. We fall into a pit again. We're in trouble. We're sinners. We say, Jesus, help me out. We repent and we level up. And this pattern keeps on happening where we are leveling up, leveling up, leveling up to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. We will continue to level up until we are made perfect in heaven where we actually are equal to the holiness of Jesus. We actually level up to Jesus. Um, And it is this pattern, this pattern going up and down here where we need Jesus, that is the actual testimony stories from you guys that I need to hear. This is the story that I need to know. That's the story. Here's why. I know we all sin. I know that. And uh, sure, my life's not perfect. That's the magic. Sure, there's been some ups and downs. That's evidence that God is real. That is the power of the cross. That is when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. We all know that that does not mean a life of happiness. So what does that mean? Life to the full is this game. This adventure, this pattern of falling into pits, realizing we need Jesus, asking for him to save us, and getting pulled out of that pit. He is trying to remind us all the time that he fell in the pit and he got out. That he is a God that's going to jump down into the pit of earth and pull us out. He pulled himself out just like he's going to pull us out too. It is the story of creation to redemption. It is the story from Genesis to Revelation, and it is the story of the 14-year-old girl that you're hopeful for. Same story, and he wants us to relive this story all the way to heaven. It is a good story. It's one we long for, and it's something that we need to be willing participants in admitting, I'm down here. 
Because the reality is we're really good at faking it. We're really good at hiding it. Here's how you know if you're in a pit. Uh, have you talked to God well in the past two weeks? Was it a real prayer in the past two weeks? If not, you're dodging him for some reason. If you're dodging him for some reason, it's probably because you're in a pit and you're embarrassed. You're uncomfortable and you're sad. You're humiliated. You're angry with yourself. You're frustrated with yourself. And you're just going to grovel down there until we get to the point where we remember, oh, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And he will say, yes, and I am here to help you out of the pit. A couple years ago, I was at a young life camp with a guy named Artie Wilkes. He's a young life leader who's in his mid-60s at this point. And he uh, was there with a group of inner-city African-American kids from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was him and maybe eight guys in his cabin. He is an older white man who doesn't seem like he's connecting too well with his guys. But, man, he's trying. He's really standing out to the rest of the people on assignment that week, it's really clear that from all the other leaders that he's just a little bit different than the rest of leadership, mainly because of his age. Uh, but he's neat. He's someone I like, and it was fun to watch him there that week. Um, and then at the end of the week, we're current summer staff in a room, and we're saying, how have you seen God this week? And someone has a story, where he goes, hey, you guys know that, like, 300-pound camper that was here? And everyone's like, yeah, we know that. And they're like, listen to this story. He was really struggling in the obstacle course. And his young life leader was the oldest man I've ever seen. That's how poor Artie was sold. And the room's like, yeah, we know what you're talking about. And they said, that leader got down on his hands and knees. And that kid got on his shoulders. And the leader stood up. And that kid got over the wall. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we get out of the pit. We fall down there. We cannot get out on our own. And would you believe it? Jesus is already in the pit waiting for you. Jesus is going to help you out. Jesus is down there ready to go. We see in Matthew 12, 11, Jesus says to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Do not work on the Sabbath was a big deal. And Jesus is saying, someone in the pit we need to save. That trumps it. That trumps that rule. I am heading to the pit to save him. We see in Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, I waited patiently. There's someone down in the pit. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. Uh, we are all throughout Scripture as the one that needs saved. Sometimes, and I am totally at fault at this, I will pitch Scripture as we are the heroes coming to save the day. Uh, this is most commonly, I will most commonly use this, and I still will. Um, but I see how it's trouble is uh, the story of the paralytic. We have a paralytic teenager, maybe, who's injured. And uh, when we share the story, here's the story again, you know it. Mark 2, 1 through 11. Let me just read the paragraph. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. 
Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of the mall. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Um, that story, so often, I'm the paralytic man being dropped down, but I will pitch it as, No, 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 I'm the friend that brought the paralytic man. I'm the friend. Me and my buddies brought the kids to club. Me and my buddies brought our friends. We're bringing our friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, this guy was saved. It's these guys doing the work. Look at these guys up here. When the reality is, I'm the one that is so awkwardly exposed, being lowered into the pit. That is my story of this. It is the story of all of humanity is we are being lowered into the pit. We so need who's already down there waiting for us. Jesus looking up saying, come to the pit. I'm here for you. Come on down here. And what happens when he gets down there? Get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and go home. Home. Where is heaven? Home, that's where we're heading. So many movies, so many stories, so many books. The travel, home, that's where we want to go. Uh, pick up your mat. You know who doesn't need a mat? A guy who no longer needs to lay on a mat. Jesus tells him, pick up your mat. Remember this. Remember the story of what I've done here. Jesus is in the game of encouraging us to remember what he's doing over and over and over again. Are you remembering it? Um, a couple takeaways I want you to wrestle with is one, are you using your stories to point out the good part of our testimony? Are you using your stories to point out the part that's great? Or are you saying, sure, there's been some ups and downs, but God is good. The ups and downs is good stuff. We want to know the ups and downs. The ups and downs is what shows us Jesus. You trying marijuana in eighth grade is sad, but that is all of humanity's story. We know that story. What we don't know is how did a supernatural God save you? And the answer can't just be, I heard the information at camp and now I'm fixed. I heard the information. No, this adventure is life to the full. Are we sharing that adventure? I do not want to share with you about making out with college girls who aren't my wife. I don't want to share that with you at the same time. I think that there's value of saying there's pits all the time. Are we being open to that? Does your team know about the pits you're falling into? Do your friends know about those pits? Are we remembering our stories and sharing them? Uh, in your, when you're teaching, your stories are so valuable. Your stories are so valuable. These stories right here are so valuable when we share the gospel. Um, so one takeaway, remember the story. The other takeaway is you're going to fall into pits. Just a heads up to admit that that is coming. 
and to remember that it is Jesus that gets us out. Uh, sometimes we're in a pit so long that it just feels like home. Some of us may be down that pit for three years now, uh, maybe longer. Hey, admit that you're down there and climb. God's going to help climb you out. Um, okay, so here's the application I have for you. Is, um, is your homework that's totally optional. It's on you to do. But that sheet that I passed out, I want you to create your own story arc. Your story is a good one because God shines through it. You know how there's good testimonies and bad testimonies and the good ones involve like heroin and the bad ones are like, I was a good kid. I met Jesus and I'm still a pretty good kid. Those both stories, if they show this, God working through the pits, the story's epic because that is shining what God, that God is real. And are we capturing that? I, you guys have those stories. In theory, this is happening all the time where you might feel like your life is like this. You might feel like that. But my hope is that when you pull back your entire life story, you can see evidence, if you're being honest, that you are heading toward home. That that is real. And that's helpful for me because I'm often looking for proof that we're not wasting our lives following this faith. Is this real? This is the proof I need. Is life change. And life change can't just be, I heard the story once and so I prayed the prayer once. Uh, because I know a lot of kids who did that whose stories do not look like they're heading home right now. In fact, I would argue most of the kids I know who have the story where they stood up at the say-so, their story does not look like they're heading home right now. Uh, and so are we as a Christian community heading that way in ways that's real and visible for our friends that are still so struggling down in the pit? With that homework, I've got a few questions on there that you can read, but it's essentially me trying to steer you through where's God taking you and where will God be taking you? Where are you now? It is really, this might sound awful, but on the back there, if you made like a list of like, hey, what are the, what are the 30 worst times I've been in pits? Uh, here's what's great about that. If you are someone who's been following Jesus right now, he's most likely pulled you out of 30 pits. He's mo- that's, 30, that's 30 times where you have a m- miraculous story to share uh, that is heading, heading you somewhere that's heavenly. And those stories are so valuable for you to remember. So it's proof for you that this is really happening. Um, are you committed to keep following Jesus up the story arc to our happy ending? And looking at your story arc, do you see evidence that you're heading there now? That is my hope that you can do once this is over, is find evidence in your story that God is real. Uh, let me pray for you guys and we'll, we'll, call it, we'll call it a seminar done. God, thank you for saving us and continuing to save us. Uh, thank you that, uh, that we are forgiven and that when we lean into you, you rise us up. And that is something that we can be doing today. Uh, and that is something that we can be doing tomorrow. And I pray that you remind us all the time of this story and remind us of where we were. Uh, Give us things that feel like mats in our life, Lord, where we can remember the low so that we can remember where you've taken us. Um, And I pray that you can help us communicate the second half of our testimony in ways that shows repentance, in ways that brings us closer to you. I pray that we smell like the, the aroma of Christ, Lord, because of how you are continuously pulling us out of the mire, that you are pulling us up 
and putting our feet onto the rock. Thank you for these friends, Lord. I pray that uh, you are with them in ways that they can see. In your son's name, amen.